You're listening to the Forefront Church Podcast in New York City, dedicated to cultivating a just and generous expression of the Christian faith. Let's read Hebrews 10, 5 through 10. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body prepared for you. With burnt offerings and sin offering, you were not pleased. And then I said, Here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. First he said, Sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings, you did not desire, nor will you please with them, though they were offered in accordance with the law. And then he said, Here I am. I have come to do your will. So he sets aside the first to establish the second, and by that we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Okay, here's what I want you to do, all right? I want you all to uh, pretend that you were alive a few thousand years ago. Can you do that? It doesn't look like the Flintstone, okay? You got it? All right. Uh, a few thousand years ago, you had three jobs. Job number one was to hunt. Job number two was to grow. Job number three was to raid invading tribes. Okay, those are your three jobs. Now, you quickly realized that there were things that were outside of your control. You started to realize that sometimes your crops didn't grow the way they wanted. Sometimes other tribes invaded you and you lost. And so you see these things are outside of your control, these unforeseen circumstances, and you start to say, this must be a, a god or gods. Okay? So you and your tribe get together. What you guys do is you get a, a little uh, stack of rocks, uh, you know, maybe about as tall as I am. I'm not very tall. And you get like a stack of rocks, and what you do is you take some of the wheat that you grew, and you put that wheat on top of this pile of rocks, and you hope that that wheat will help uh, your God or gods be happy with who you are and what you're doing. You might win some battles, grow better, etc., etc. Okay? But it turns out that that doesn't always work. It turns out there's still drought. It turns out you're still being invaded in certain ways. And so you're like, hmm, maybe we're doing it wrong. Maybe we're not appeasing the gods. And so what you do is you go back and you're like, okay, I'm going to give more wheat this time. But then your tribe, like, uh, they elect, let's call this person the master wheat spreader. Okay, that's who they elect. And this master wheat spreader knows how to spread the wheat in just the way on the, on the pile of rocks that the gods will be happy. All right? Still nothing. You start to see that there's other tribes, right? And other tribes are sacrificing animals, and sometimes they're even sacrificing human beings. And other tribes, they have these temples, and you're like, oh, this is why we're not winning. This is why our food is not growing. We don't have a temple, and we don't sacrifice things like we should. So what you do is you build a temple. Y'all gonna build a temple? You build a temple. And you put God in that temple. At this point, your God, you figured out, is pretty much above all the other gods. You don't have a sun god, a rain god, and all the rest. You have one God, and this God is greater than all the others. But you put this God in the temple over here, and you no longer have a master wheat spreader. What you now have is somebody that, you've, that you call a priest. And this priest is the only person who could go in the temple in your tribe. That's it. Nobody else can, because over here is sacred, and everything else over here is separate. Everything else over here is common. Okay, so you separate the sacred and the common. That's what you are doing. And then you start to make sacrifices. You sacrifice, animal, you sacrifice animals. Sometimes you sacrifice human beings. Your God doesn't like it when you sacrifice human beings. How many people have heard of Abraham? One person? Okay. Um, yeah. Abraham goes and he wants to sacrifice his son Isaac, and God goes, don't do it. You know, I'm a God that errs on the side of love. So already we're starting to see something about our God that's different from the other gods. But another guy named Moses, how many people have heard of Moses? 
Moses hears from this God and says that this God has, you know, I've received law from this God. So I finally, Moses says to his people, I have finally to us, I finally figured out how we can make our God happy. I got it, all right? This is what we're going to do for now and forevermore. It's going to make our God happy, going to make sure that we grow, going to make sure that we win battles. This is what we are to do if we want to even get close to the sacred, because the sacred is separate from the common. So I'm just paraphrasing this from Leviticus, but this is what people did for thousands of years. This is what you did when you lived there for thousands of years. You washed your priests. Your priests put on some ceremonial underwear. The priest brought a bull and a ram for sacrifice into the temple. The priest kills the bull for his own sins, kills the ram for the sins of others, gets two goats. The priest casts lots for these goats because one is going to be killed one right on the spot, and the other is going to just wait. The other is going to wait, okay? The priest is going to go into the temple, burn some incense because that stops the priest from getting killed. Then the bull that the priest killed will be drained of blood and sprinkled around the temple, and then he'll take more bull's blood, plus the blood of the goat, plus the blood of the ram, sprinkle it on the altar of God in the temple. Then he takes the same blood, he puts it on his finger seven different times and wipes it on the altar in seven different ways. Are we good? I'm going to give you a quiz. You good? <laughs> All right. Now remember, there's another goat outside that's still alive. You remember that other goat? Just waiting. And this priest goes outside of the temple, grabs this goat by the head. The priest then begins to chant over this goat, confessing all the sins, the wickedness, and the bad deeds of the people. This goat is then taken into the wilderness where it will be let go, where it will starve and die. This is called the scapegoat. Finally, this priest will take off those holy one underwear, wash it in holy water, wash himself in holy water, burn another sacrifice outside of the temple just for good measure, burn some incense inside of the temple again just in case God is angry that day. And once this is all done, the priest will go back and report to the people that all is well and that God is happy until they need to do that again. That is the sacrificial system we have created. I did not make any of that up. Go to the book of Leviticus. You can read it right there. Okay, that's the sacrificial system that we've created. And so for thousands of years, we practice this ritual. We have the sacred over here and the common over here. And it's so sacred over there that we don't even want to mess with it. Just the priest mess with it. But we still hear these, in this inkling from God. You know, God errs on the side of love. And so uh, David, in, in the book of Psalms, he says this. He says, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. Huh. Then Isaiah shows up. Isaiah is a prophet. A prophet is a mouthpiece for God. Isaiah says, this is what God really thinks. You want to know what God really thinks? This is it. The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord? I've had more than enough of your burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. And when you appear before me, who asked this of you, this trampling of my courts? Stop bringing me meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. And we're all like, what? Because we thought that this is what God wanted. In fact, we thought it was part of the law. This is it. The sacred is over here. And the common is over here. And so then Isaiah goes on. He goes, hey, listen, I need to tell you, the Imago Dei, God is coming. Okay, The image of God is coming in human being. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the greatness, government, and peace. There will be no end. Now, you are alive. And for thousands upon thousands of years, you've been a part of the sacrifice, okay? You have had the sacred on one side and the common on the other side. So when Jesus shows up, what would you expect Jesus to look like? What would you expect Jesus to be like? When Jesus shows up, is Jesus with you, a common person, or is Jesus sacred? Is Jesus with somebody else or something else? 
What do you expect from your Messiah, from the wonderful counsel of the Prince of Peace? So, you can answer if you want. <laughs> um, but Jesus does show up, right? How does Jesus show up? Jesus shows up and he's, a, I say this every week, a refugee, a brown-skinned minority, right? He's poor, okay? That's how he shows up. And, and not only that, but he shows up in like the worst of socioeconomic times. Like 99% like, uh, of people are really poor and have to give 80% of their earnings to the Roman government, while the 1% live inside the walls of Jerusalem. And then he shows up in the most like... Uh, um, a time of racial tension, where there's, you know, Israel basically against everybody else, and there's people who are in and people who are out, and Jesus is saying to people who think they're in that they're out, and people who think that they're out that they're in, and it's all very confusing, and then there's a time of very political tension, where you have the Roman Empire who are basically trampling on everyone. Sounds a little familiar, but anyway... So this is when Jesus shows up. This is who Jesus is. Now, if you have been a part of the sacrificial system where you have the sacred over here and the common over here, do you think that Jesus is the Messiah? Or are you waiting for somebody else? How does the story go? The story goes that Jesus shows up and does all the things I said. Heals all the people that shouldn't have been healed. Hangs out with all the people you weren't supposed to hang out with. Yells at the people who are the ones, and you're like, oh, that person's a good standing. Jesus is like, no, you're not. And then he dies. And then he dies. And then he comes back. People say they saw him. And when he comes back, Jesus says to them, do all the things that I did. Do all of those things. Okay? Give dignity to the people that didn't have the dignity. Raise up people who shouldn't be raised up. That's what I want you to do. And then he's gone again. Right? So by the time we get to this passage in Hebrews... We have to now imagine that we are a group of people who go, hmm, I think, I think Jesus might have been the Messiah. That's what we're all doing, okay? And we've all been a part of this, this system where we have the sacred over here and the common over here. And so now we're starting to try to fit it into our worldview. Now, was Jesus a sacrifice? Was that what God was doing with, with the whole temple thing? Is, is, it, is, it, is that what's happening? That's where we get this passage. We are now struggling to find out who Jesus was. So this is a good place for us to stop. Stop right here. And I'm going to remind everybody that the Bible is true and the Bible is inspired by God, not because words magically fell down on a page and they tell us exactly what to do every single page, but it's inspired by God and the Bible is true and it's ordained because it shows us the way God's people are interacting with God and the way that God is loving and gracious to God's people over and over and over again. And so when you have people going, is this a sacrifice? Is this a system? God is going, the blood of fattened animals I did not desire is it possible that perhaps, is it possible that Jesus' death and resurrection are to point us towards something bigger? Is it possible it's not some sacrificial system that fits in with the sacred over here and the common over here? There's no separation. Is it possible that God is saying, open your eyes a little wider? Is it possible that God's saying, your imagination's not quite there. I'm God and I have bigger things going on with this death and resurrection than just a sacrificial system. Is it possible? possible to think outside that way. Hebrews is not an Advent text. I just picked it. I opened up the page of the Bible and I pointed to it. That's why I'm preaching on it. No, that's not true. Um, but you know what it is an Advent theme? Repentance is an Advent theme. How many people have heard of the word repentance? 
few people. How many people like the word repentance? <laughs> repentance is not, I say this all the time, it's not holding up the sign. It's not saying repent or die. It's not changing the way you feel about somebody. So it's not like, oh, if I change the way I feel about this, I'm going to be better. It's not saying, oh, if I do these three things, uh, God's going to make sure I don't go to hell. That's not repentance at all. Repentance comes from the word metanoia, which I, you know, all know Greek, right? You guys know what metanoia means. Metanoia means changing of the heart and changing of your mind, okay? Now, does changing of your heart and changing of your mind mean that you change your lifestyle? You stop taking some action? Yeah, sometimes it does, absolutely. When we change our hearts and minds, we live life differently. But that's not the crux of repentance. Change your hearts and change your minds. Now, you're sitting there going, that's so easy to do. Let me ask you a question. I want you to think about who you voted for in the last election. Got that person in your head? Got them? Now, what if someone came up to you and said, you should have voted for the opposite person? What does that make you think or do or feel? You're like, nah. <laughs> nah, I shouldn't have voted for the other person. Repentance is changing the way you operate. Repentance is making those kinds of changes, big changes in the way you think, to where your one affiliation that you have politically becomes a different affiliation. Those are the metanoia changes. They're really big. Really, really big. And I just gave that example because you know politics. But anyway, changing yourself, metanoia, changing your heart and mind means you're changing your brain chemistry. We have these neural pathways, right? These neural pathways are shooting off. And so what happens is when we start to do things over and over and over again, instead of um, going through the complex circuitry that is our brains, we create these neural shortcuts, these super highways that go directly to the thing that we think or believe or want. So that's why addiction is so difficult. Addiction is so difficult because we've created a neural pathway that goes directly to that thing that we're addicted to when we say this is the thing we want. It's a shortcut. We don't take all the other circuit, cir, cir, I can't say it, circuital, circuital? Circuitous, thank you. We don't take the circuitous routes, we take the direct path. So when we fight addiction and beat addiction, we're actually changing our brain chemistry. That is what repentance is. It's asking you to change your brain chemistry. It's asking you to get some cement and fill in the neural highway that has made sense for you for so long. It's asking you to put in new lenses to see things differently. And so when the people of Hebrews are there, and they're going, was Jesus a sacrifice or not? And someone says, sacrifices I did not need. That is repentance. That is them going, oh my gosh, I'm changing my brain chemistry because forever it was sacred. And then over here was common. And now what we have eyes to see is that the death and resurrection says that the sacred is always in the common. The sacred is always in the broken. The sacred has never been over here. We're over here. It's all been holy. God has always made it holy. The death and resurrection is a repentance. Not so that we can say, oh, it's always been a part of the sacrificial system. It's like, no, you are holy. You are beloved. You have always been holy. You have always been beloved. That death and resurrection shows you that everything is holy being worked on. So let's go back to the Bible. Let's go back to Moses. If everything is holy, if there's no more sacred and common, but we're now have eyes to see the sacred in the common. God says, Moses, take off your sandals. You're standing on holy ground. That doesn't mean that that ground suddenly became holy. That means that that parched, cracked desert area was always holy. God was always in it. God was always working through it. And if that's true, how might we repent of the way we think about our world or about the place we live if it's always holy? There's a teenage girl. You know this teenage girl because at 3.30, you're getting on the subway and you see a group of these teenage girls. And what do you do? 
You go to the other subway car. You know, come on. Admit it. Yeah. One of those teenage girls becomes impregnated with the Son of Man. She becomes impregnated, and that didn't make her holy when she became impregnated with the Son of Man. She was always considered holy. There was no more sacred and common. God saw sacredness in this common woman named Mary. How might it change the way we look at people, think about people, if we believe that every single person we see is holy, is sacred, God's working through them? How might that change? Uh, I told you a story once. I'll tell it again because it's kind of funny. Uh, Juby and I went snowboarding. Uh, she took off her snowboard and it went take it went uh, like going down the mountain and Juby had never snowboarded before and so I had a choice go down the mountain and chase the snowboard or help Juby and I went down the mountain and chase the snowboard and when I went down that mountain to chase the snowboard Juby got stuck at the top of the mountain and I didn't see her for two hours and all of a sudden about two hours later here she comes down on the snowmobile the ski patrol <laughs> just crying and I said Juby are you okay and she said words I can't say from the stage. <laughs> and then she said to me as she cried, she goes, I will never laugh about this ever. You are the worst. And she meant it. Like, I, like it was a terrible time in our marriage. Like, it showed, like, a lot of things about me that I would go after a snowboard and said, stay with my wife. <laughs> and now when we tell this story, we laugh our butts off. We laugh about it all the time. You want to know why? Because God takes broken stories, the crazy stories, the stories that at the time feel so heavy and difficult and never, like they're never going to be fixed. And God says, it's holy. It's being renewed. I'm working on it. I'm making this better. I'm, I'm telling you, there's no more sacred over here and the broken story over here. It's all combined and it's all good and it's all being renewed. That means every single woman that, uh, that, at Nomi Network, every single woman that's being worked with there, every single one of those women just didn't suddenly become holy when you know we gave them something to do. No, they've always been holy and that's the mission. That's the mission of No Me Network. They've always been in need of dignity. They've always deserved nothing but the best. And that's what Nomi tries to remind people of, help people to, to know, and help these women to know. It means that we have to start believing we are holy. I want you to be honest for one second. How many people, before they walk in this door, go, Oh man, did I pray six times this week? Did I put on my holy underpants? Did I read the Bible? Did I read Nahum? Did I memorize it? can't go to church if I didn't do that stuff. How many people have done that before? Just be honest. Come on. How many people have set up rules for themselves before they show up to church? Thank you for being honest to me, people. You're the only honest people in the room. <laughs> we repent of that mindset. We repent of the mindset that somehow we are separate from God, that God is not at work in us, even when we're at our most broken, our worst, even when we're in pain and even when we're stressed and even when we yell at our coworkers, which might have happened this morning, I don't know. God is not working at all. How might we live differently if we really believe that? How? How might we live differently if we really believed that, that our families who we're going to go and see, if we really believe that they are God's beloved, there's no sacred and there's no common over here, that they're actually beautiful people and God's at work in them. And you, you're, you're going to go home and you're going to be like, oh, I don't, I only want to stay for three days and I'm here for seven. What am I going to do? What if, what if we were like, you know what? These people are holy. God's at work in them, renewing them, making all things new. How might we feel differently? How might we reconcile? How might we change our approach to the time spent with our families? And then I look at our world. And I look at things that don't feel holy or sacred at all. Aleppo. 
does not feel holy. And it does not feel sacred. And it feels broken. And I am distraught by it, right? What do we do with that? What do we do when we see children who are dying, civilians who are being raped and killed? What do we do with that? It seems like God's separate from that over here. What if we believed? What if we believed that God was in it? What if we believed that God was renewing it? What if we believed that God was restoring it? What if we believed that God saw every single one of those people that are there, that are suffering, that we can't even see? Scroll by it so fast on Facebook because we can't handle it. What if we said God was renewing that? How might we act? How might we respond? How might we look differently? I have to imagine that when the Hebrew people got this letter from Paul, or, or they don't think Paul wrote it, but whoever was Paul's friend that wrote it, and they saw that Jesus, like, the sacrificial system is done. It's, it's the, the sacred and the common are no longer separate. They're, they're together. All things are being renewed. What did that do to them? How did they repent? They repented in such a way where 100 years later, the Roman Empire was like, this church is huge, and they're helpful, and they're changing lives, and they don't know what to do about it. What if we were the same? What if we repented in such a way? Something like a level happens. And in two years' time, they go, wow, the church believed that God was in this, God was renewing it, and, and it's happened. Look at this. What might that do to us? What might that do to God's kingdom? Repentance is not a command. Repentance is not this thing we do because we're afraid. Repentance is an invitation. So here's what I want us to do today. I want us to be invited to repent. Repent of us thinking that God is separate from us. We are loved by God to the point where God says, you bring peace while you wait for the Prince of Peace. Be the wonderful counselor while you wait for me, the wonderful counselor. Do that stuff. I am not separate from you. I invite you to repent that God is bigger and more loving and at work in more ways than we can even possibly imagine. Believe it. And I want us to repent of the idea that this thing is hopeless, that this election thing is hopeless, that Aleppo is hopeless. And so what I want to do right now is I want to pray. We're just going to start by praying. And I want you to pray about what you are going to do to repent. How are you going to start to change your mind about how God is at work? And if you feel like you want to pray out loud, you're allowed to pray out loud. You can do that, okay? And I'll go ahead and close this in prayer. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask us to take the life-changing, sometimes nauseating, always beautiful, always redemptive steps towards repentance. Amen?